Um, this morning, we're going to wrap up our marriage series, all right, from the Song of Songs. Um, throughout the series so far, we've looked at God's heart for being single, God's heart for the husband, God's heart for the wife. We've talked about foxes that can enter the marriage vineyard and spoil the vineyard. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at principles of communication. And today, we're going to conclude our study looking at the sexual relationship in marriage. I read recently um, about Dennis and Barbara Rainey, who they lead Family Life Ministry, and they talked about how they received an email um, describing the romantic differences between men and women. And the email began by asking, how do you romance a woman? Answer, you whine her, you dine her, you call her, you cuddle with her, you surprise her, you compliment her hair, you shop with her, you listen to her talk. You buy flowers, you hold her hand, you write love letters, and be willing to go to the end of the earth and back again for her. That sounds about right, doesn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want that kind of treatment? So the email continued, how do you romance a man? Answer, arrive naked, bring food. (laughs) All right? A woman's picture of romance um, tends to revolve around more her emotional needs all right, and her thirst for a relationship with her husband, while a man obviously has emotional needs. Um, a man's view of romance is more focused on a single experience, sexual affirmation. And it's these radical differences between men and women and how they define romance that often sets the stage for conflict in the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. And just from our experience as being married nearly 22 years and just in counseling couples over those years, um, we can attest that the sexual relationship between a husband and wife will be one of the top areas that will cause or create marital conflict for husbands and wives. And it can be awkward to discuss. All right? it can be, it's awkward to discuss maybe in this setting. Sometimes it's more awkward to discuss even with your spouse. But just because it's awkward to discuss doesn't mean you shouldn't talk about it. Um, if you truly want to experience God's intended best and His desire... Uh, for sex in the, in the re- sexual relationship between a husband and wife, you're going to have to have conversations about it. It's necessary. Um, to affirm this, Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott agree. They say this, For most couples, talking about sex is about as comfortable as sleeping in a car. Yet, it's a conversation that's critically important to aligning your libidos and minimizing your conflicts. This morning, I'm going to present this less as like a sermon and more as if it's a talk, okay, workshop kind of presenting kind of talk. I think it's going to help us as we kind of wrap our minds around the sexual relationship the way God desires as it relates to sexual relationship and marriage. And when it comes to conflict in this relationship, the conflict comes because of unrealistic expectations, misunderstandings about the purposes for why God created sex, it comes from conflict comes from our own selfishness, um, awkwardness, all kinds of reasons. R- Romans one twenty five, Paul talks about how often we try to find our identity or significance or approval in what God has created rather than in God Himself, and that even applies to sex in the sexual relationship. Husbands and wives often will look to maybe how they or their spouse performs in the bedroom to find or feel significant. We hope to maybe find the experience in our bedroom, what we see in films. We compare that with films or photoshopped images that we see on screens on our phones, whatever it might be. And so what happens then is when the bedroom performance or frequency does not meet our expectations, then we often are left feeling maybe insignificant, unfulfilled, empty. 
The problem with all of that is that God never created sex to be where you find your significance or approval or your identity. Um, He created you to worship him. And when you look to anything other than him, even sex, for your significance, you're always going to be left unfulfilled. Sex was not created to fulfill you, but was created to lead you to the, to the one that can. Um, so when conflict in your sexual relationship occurs in marriage, it's often because we're trying to get from sex what sex was never created to give. And that leads to a couple questions. One is, okay, if sex is not intended to fulfill me, my personhood and my identity, then what is the purpose of it? Why did God create it? And then how can I have a healthy sexual relationship in marriage? And those are some of the questions we want to look at this morning. We want to answer them because I believe they're answers that are critically important for us to answer because it's going to help minimize conflict in your marriage, I believe, and maximize your own joy and pleasure and God's glory through your sexual relationship as husband and wife. And I'll just say this as an aside. I get that this is probably uncomfortable for us to hear, all right? And I probably, I mean, a lot of people look out the window already on Sundays, but it's probably going to happen more today than ever before. I'm at times going to want to look out at the window, all right? So just, it's awkward for everybody in the room, all right? So let's just embrace that awkwardness, okay? That this is something that probably some of us have never heard before spoken in a church setting. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Um, and let me say this too, for those of you that are single here this morning, um, those of you who have never experienced sex, um, I, I just feel like you need to understand that marriage is sex, and I know you understand this, but needs to be reminded that cr- these things, marriage and sex, were created by God as a means to accomplish His purpose and bringing Him glory. They're a means. They're not the only means. All right? They're just a, a means. Just as being single is a means to accomplish His purposes, so is marriage. It's, an, it's another means God created to accomplish His purposes. So, Jesus was celibate. Paul was celibate. Um, sex in marriage is good. It's right. It's expected. And if you're not married, so is not having sex. It's good and right and expected. All right, you can accomplish as a virgin unmarried just as much as a married person can for the, for the purposes of God. You need to understand that. All right, so sex is not the end. All right, it's just one of many of God's created means to achieve the chief end, which is to bring Him glory. So, Let's jump into all this, okay? And there's no way in 45, 50 minutes I'm going to be able to cover everything that needs to be said regarding the sexual relationship and marriage, but we'll get through as much as we can in the time we have together. So this morning on your handout, we're going to try to work through that together. Um, I want us to look first at some of God's purposes for the sexual relationship and marriage, and we want to start where history began um, in Genesis chapter 1, or the record of history began in Genesis chapter 1. So if you're there already, join me in in chapter 1 of Genesis, and we'll pick it up in verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. The only way that command is fulfilled is if a husband and wife have sex. You can't be fruitful and multiply without that. All right? And then he goes on, And fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So included in God's creation is the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And we see that over in chapter 2 
of Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now all this takes place before sin entered the world. And so one of the purposes that we can gather from this passage from the beginning of creation is that God created sex and marriage to reveal that God is amazingly gracious and good. God is the one who created sex. Sex comes from him. He's the one who thought it up. He created it. And we did nothing to earn it or deserve it or receive it. He just simply gave it to us. It's actually a gift of God's grace to us. And because God is good, and because God created sex, sex is good inside the context in which God has designed it. And because God is holy and God, this holy God created sex, sex is holy. It's, original, it's not dirty. It's never intended to be that. God didn't create it to be that way. In fact, in, in chapter 1, verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, including the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And he looks and he goes, it's beautiful. It's very good. And so one thing that we need to understand is that God created the sexual relationship between a husband and wife to show us that he's gracious. He's gracious. Sex is a gift of grace. It's a gift from God. But also, too, God created sex to show us that he himself, to reveal something to us about himself. Now, this is interesting. In chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 24, it says, the, father, or the, the man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that word one flesh, the, the Old Testament was written in the book of Hebrew, or in the language of Hebrew. And so, it's interesting here that God describes the sexual relationship between a husband and wife as one flesh. Now, it's interesting because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Moses says this, he says that the Lord our God, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. It's the exact same Hebrew word that is used to describe one flesh in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 17, in his prayer, he prays to the Father, he says, My prayer is that they would be one as we are one. One. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew. So, when we come to Jesus' statement in John chapter 10, when he says, I and the Father are one, if you were to take that Greek word, one, translate it into Hebrew, it'd be the same word for one that we see in one flesh. And so, what's happening here is that I believe when we look at this, when God creates a sexual relationship between a husband and wife, there's something that God wants us to see about Him about who he is. There's this oneness within God himself, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's this oneness that results from the sexual union between a husband and wife that reflects the oneness within the person of God himself. And so God creates sex for us to learn about him. And so when you experience the goodness and the grace and the oneness In the sexual relationship, it ultimately leads you to see the grace and the goodness of God. That should blow us away when it comes to the whole sexual relationship. It's not just about us. It's so much bigger than us. And that leads us to the second purpose. Another purpose 
for the sexual relationship in marriage is that to re- it is to reveal that there's this personal friendship, deep personal relationship with this God that's amazingly possible. It's possible. So God creates sex to show us that He's gracious. It's a gift from God to us. We can learn about God through this intimate relationship between a husband and wife. And it's ultimately to help us see that the, there's a personal, deep friendship relationship with this God that's amazingly possible. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now when it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, it's talking about he knew her sexually. Right? Because the result of that, he knew his wife Eve, and she had a kid. Alright? So again, taking this context of the Hebrew word to know... And if you were to translate Hebrew Hebrew word, Adam knew his wife Eve, and you were to translate that into Greek, the language in which the New Testament, New Testament was written, it's the same word Paul says, I want to know Christ. That's powerful. That there's something, that God creates the sexual relationship, the physical relationship between a husband and wife, ultimately to see, to help us see that there is a, Available to us a personal, intimate relationship with this God who has created this sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And third, a, a third purpose. These aren't all the purposes, but these are just some. A third purpose for why God created a sexual relationship between a husband and wife is to ultimately lead you to worship Him. To lead you to worship this amazing God. We looked at it already. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He says... Jesus tells husbands and wives to be fruitful and multiply. And he says it a couple times. And it's a command. All right, so God says, I'm expecting husbands and wives to have sex together. It's this expectation. I've created it for that relationship. So to fulfill that command, it involves husbands and wives engaging in sexual activity with one another. But Jesus in John 14, 15 says, If you love me, do what I command. So put this together now. Jesus has commanded, Jesus has commanded husbands and wives to have a sexual relationship. And Jesus says, When you fulfill my command, you're expressing love to me. Worship. It's worship. The sexual relationship between a husband and wife is an expression of worship back to the God who's given you that relationship. Romans eleven thirty six, Paul said, For from God and through Him and to Him are all things. That includes sex. That includes a sexual relationship between a husband and wife. For from God and through Him and to Him are all things, and to Him be the glory. God gave sex so that God could be glorified. So, ladies, when your husband says it's time for a little worship... All right? All right? Feel a little worship service. I'm sorry. It's really bad when things go through my head and they just come out. There's like no filter. All right? Sorry. Because that's probably what I would say. That's why I just said it. Honey, let's go to church. Um, all right, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, that would include sex. Do all for the glory of God. Seriously, though, here, Listen. To God, there's no such thing as recreational sex. That should break your heart. 
Because God did not create sex purely for your recreation, but for His glory and His worship. Although sex obviously is deeply physical, it is deeply spiritual. And it is an expression of worship to God, and we must treat it as such. So why sex in marriage? Why sex in marriage? Let's talk through this a little bit. Because God said so. I know we don't like that answer. But he did. That's what he said. Because marriage is where God commanded and designed it to be expressed and experienced. And any expression of sex outside of God's command is sin. It's sin. And when we choose to experience something that God has created outside of the boundaries in which he has set, it's sin. We're worshiping self. We're we're worshiping the created rather than the creator. Romans 1.25 says this. So why sex and marriage? Simply because God said so, but that leads to the second reason. Because any kind of sex outside of marriage is sin, which brings you then under the judgment of God. Hebrews 13.4 says that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Listen, if you mess with sex in a way that God didn't intend, you mess with God. His holiness and the message of the gospel that's communicated through the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is too important for him to just let anyone misuse it. Now, That being said, is sex before marriage or outside of marriage, is that the unpardonable sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's redemption, there's restoration. That's what's beautiful about Jesus and the gospel. Why else? Why sex and marriage? Because it is only sex and marriage that presents a true picture of the gospel. Now, try to follow me through this, if you will. The gospel says intimacy with God is received inside a covenant relationship with God. So if I could use the analogy, probably a poor one. It's like a yolk inside an egg. You can't get to the yolk without going through the shell of the egg. All right? And the gospel says you can't experience intimacy with God without a relationship with God. You can't. And sex and marriage pictures this, that you don't get intimacy apart from a relationship with God. Sex outside of marriage or before marriage says falsely that intimacy can be received without the commitment. That's opposite to what the Bible says. Yes, you might get something from a sexual relationship outside of marriage, but you will not receive the kind of intimacy and vulnerability and security that God has waiting for you and has provided for you through a sexual relationship in marriage. And listen, we should always uphold and defend sex inside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman because it is only there where sex accurately displays the gospel. That intimacy with God is received only when packaged inside a covenant relationship with God through Christ. And so if we care about the gospel and communicating the gospel accurately, we will care about understanding that sex in marriage is the way God designed it. To proclaim His glorious grace and glory. Why sex and marriage? Because marriage is where God designed sex to be experienced in its fullest beauty. It's for your own joy. 
It's for your own joy, another gracious gift of God. Poor analogy here, okay? This is really poor. It's the difference between animals who live in a zoo and animals who live in their natural habitat. All right, animals who live in a zoo, there's confinement, there's limitations, right? they're, They're taken care of. But man, in their natural habitat, there's freedom. It's, there's wild. They can run free. It's beauty. I mean, that's where they're at home. And God created marriage to be the natural habitat for the sexual relationship. And that's where sex is most freeing and satisfying in marriage. And if you do not agree, studies confirm this. Studies outside of Scripture confirm this. Let me read you something. This comes from Walt Laramore. Poll shows sex within marriage is more fulfilling. About 88% of Americans say they are happy or reasonably content with their married sex. And three quarters report that their sex lives are reasonably fulfilling. That's according to a national poll of 1,001 married Americans commissioned by Parade magazine. In researching for my book, His Brain, Her Brain, I found stunning research that shows sex is better in marriage, sex is better among religious or spiritual couples, and sex is not better if you live together. Those were findings from the research. Sex is better in marriage. The movies and sitcoms have it all wrong. They're spreading the urban legend that sex is best when you have plenty of it with plenty of partners. But one of the best-kept secrets in America is that the best sex is not found in the singles bars or on university campuses or in romantic hideaways or getaways. The best sex is not sex in the city or sexcapades on Wisteria Lane. Nope. The most satisfying sex in America is in the bedrooms of people who are married for life. Don't believe it? Check out the data yourself. In a survey published by the University of Chicago, the findings regarding the typical American sex life were rather astounding. Married couples have sex far more frequently than single or cohabiting adults, but even more surprising is the following fact. Sex is better among religious or spiritual couples. Speaks well for those of you here today. That's right. This same study found that the more religious a married couple, the more frequent and satisfying their sex. Religious people who are married by far and away have the best sex lives. They have the most frequent sex, the most satisfying sex, and I've probably said that word more times in this session than all my life. The most, they have the most fun sex and the longest lived sex lives. When the researchers looked at which religious denominations had the best sex, they learned that the faithful who are married reported that not only was their sex more frequent, but also far more likely to rate their sex as being extremely satisfying. Conservative, evangelical, Protestant women, the survey found, reported the most satisfying sex. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Sex is not better if you live together. The most dangerous myth of all may be the myth that living together before marriage will result in a better marriage. As a result, in the past 30 years, the number of couples who live together before marriage has increased a 1,000%. In fact, living together has become become so commonplace in our society that a couple who doesn't live together before tying the knot is, in many areas, a cultural anomaly. So why should a couple defy the societal norm by avoiding cohabitation? There are many important reasons, which David Gudgel fully discusses in his insightful book, Before You Live Together. Perhaps the most devastating reason, according to Mr. Gudgel, is this. Of eight couples that live together before marriage, Four of them will split up and they will not marry. Of the four that marry, three of them will divorce. Listen, you know what this study tells me? It just confirms what God already said. It just confirms 
that listen, if you know Jesus and you stay married for life, you're going to have the best sex. That's what it's saying. That's not coming from a Christian organization. That's coming from research outside. And it's just confirming what God has already said. He's saying, if you just would listen to me, all right? I know what's best for you. Just listen to me, he says. So when you wait to experience and express sex inside the habitat of marriage, you are experiencing it and expressing it in its fullest intended beauty with the most freedom and pleasure the way God designed. So what God says and the studies confirm it and listen, it's for your own joy. God knows what, he just loves us so much and he knows what's best for us. All right, so moving on next. God's pleasure for the husband and wife in their sexual relationship. Go to the Song of Songs, chapter 7. Song of Songs, chapter 7. Now, one thing we can deduct from this little book in the Bible is that God is for a husband and wife experiencing pleasure in their sexual relationship. We see this specifically in chapter 7 and 8. Or 7 and, yeah, 7 and 8, excuse me. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, I'll read to verse 9. How beautiful, this is the husband speaking to his wife. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, just, I know it's cultural, but it just kind of hits me funny. Um, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. Remember, this is in the Bible. Okay, we're reading this in the Bible. That's awesome. All right. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Now, the husband here is describing his bride from feet to head. Some believe that the wife here is actually dancing for her husband. We don't know for sure, but he compliments her, and he begins with her feet, and he slowly goes upward to her thighs, then her navel, her belly, her breasts, her neck, um, her eyes, nose, head, mouth. I mean, this is very sensual, very sexual description that he's giving here. And what we see here is a husband's sexual desire for his wife. I mean, in chapter 7, verse 2, he compares her belly to a heap of wheat. Now, wheat in that culture served as one of the main food sources in ancient Palestine. So just as wheat satisfied an Israelite's physical hunger, he is saying to his wife, you satisfy my sexual hunger. And in verse 8 and 9, and as much as you may want to avoid it, you can't because it's in Bible. All right. I mean, what he's saying is he's looking forward to touching his wife's body. I mean, that's, that's what he's saying. The way she pleases him intoxicates him. 
And, and, and again, we have to remember that God in his sovereign plan wanted this to be in scripture for us. To see that he's okay and good and right. And he's created the sexual relationship in marriage for both husband and wife to experience pleasure through that relationship. That's powerful. Proverbs 5, 18 through 20 talks about how may your fountain be blessed. Okay, I got to tell you a little story about this. This wasn't planned. All right, so I'll never forget in junior high. I, didn't, I was going to share. It just kind of hit me right now in, in my head, okay? I remember being in junior high, sitting in the overflow of church where my dad was a pastor, right? I'm sitting down next to my friend. Church is going on. My dad's preaching. And this kid says, good thing I probably can't remember his name. Um, he says, do you know what my, what my life verse is? I'm like, what? You don't know what my life verse is? I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's Proverbs 5, like 19. Okay, Proverbs 5, 19. What's Proverbs 5, 19 say? A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be in... Here's a junior higher telling me that's his life verse. I'm like, dude, I like... That's awesome. I don't have a clue what my dad said for the rest of my life, but I remember that. All right? Anyway... Where was I? <laughs> okay. Point in all of this. All right, is that God is for a husband and wife experiencing pleasure in this relationship, both, right? But in Proverbs 5, 18 through 20, he's saying it's your spouse. You fulfill this sexual pleasure with your spouse. And he says, why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? All right, now how's the wife going to respond to the Song of Songs husband? He's just described his sexual passion for her the pleasure he receives sexually with her? What's going to be her response? Well, look at verse 10 of chapter 7. Her response is, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Now that's significant. Why is that significant? Because her response is, she's feeling security. She's feeling security in this relationship with her husband. How does she know this? Because of her husband's sexual passion for her and the pleasure he receives from her. Now think about that. Sex for the wife communicates security for her. It communicates security. And that's nothing new. Nothing new. All right? What makes sex great and looked forward to by a wife is the security of commitment that's behind it. With her husband. Someone said physical intimacy for a wife starts in her mind. Guys, like, remember that. All right, remember that. Physical intimacy for a wife starts in her mind. Now, this wife is eager if you keep reading. Come, my beloved, she says, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Verse 12, let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. So she's eager, she's eager to have a sexual relationship with her husband because she feels secure. I am my beloved and his desires for me. She feels secure in the relationship with him. There's this covenant that's backing their relationship. And so fellas, let me talk to you for a moment. If you want your wife to desire you sexually, then give her no reason to doubt you or distrust you. Give her no. If there's any little hint of pornography or anything, you've given her reason to doubt or distrust. 
Listen, if you want her to at all desire you sexually, give her no reason to doubt your loyalty or your commitment to her. Because it is that marital relationship that provides God's gift of security for the wife in the sexual relationship. And that's why sex within the commitment of marriage is never, is, or outside the commitment of marriage is never best. There's no security without the ring. There's no security in that. There's no guarantee of commitment. And for the wife, then there's no rest. There's no freedom to be vulnerable. Knowing that at any point he could walk away, there's no security in that. Therefore, she is not able to receive the security she needs to receive the intimacy and vulnerability that God has provided and created her to experience in the sexual relationship. So how does the wife respond, right? So we already read it, verses 11 and 12, and she responds by inviting her husband to come and make love in the vineyards, in the fields. She says, there I will give you my love at the end of verse 12. We don't see her doing this out of obligation, but out of genuine desire to want to please her husband. So sexual intimacy was not understood to just be the husband's pleasure and the wife's duty. What we see in the Song of Songs is that sex was something both husband and wife extremely looked forward to with one another. And then in verse 13, she talks about these mandrakes giving forth fragrance and how there's choice fruits, new as well as old. And it's possible that the mandrakes, what she's saying, they were widely used as a symbolic or symbolic of erotic love. Right? They, they were thought of like an aphrodisiac all right, and used as a fertility drug. And then she talks about new and old choice fruits. And in, in one sense, one com- commentator said it's possible that the wife's invo- inviting her husband to enjoy intimacy in ways that are both familiar and new to the couple. Hello. little creativity from the wifey going on here. All right. And she's looking forward to it. Right. She's looking forward to it. And so and then if you fast forward through chapter eight, um, again, she talks about she responds to to her husband she gives this warning in verse 4 i adjure you o daughters of jerusalem that you stir not stir up or awaken love until it pleases and three times she gives this warning throughout the song of songs i think this is important i wasn't going to mention it but i'm going to she mentions this warning three times do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases now the first time first two times she gives this warning it's believed that she gives that warning prior to the sexual relationship with her husband so it tells me she understands and is waiting for God's best for her. And she wants her friends to experience that too, to wait. And then this third warning comes after she's experienced the sexual, sexual relationship in marriage, the way God designed it. And she warns them again. And on this side of it, she's going, listen, I've experienced it the way God desires. It's awesome. Wait. I'm telling you, it's best. That's the warning that she's giving. Now, again, this is not in any way saying that if, you're here and you had sex before marriage. You're dirty. You're second class. Listen, when the gospel cleans you, it cleans you. That's not what defines Your past does not define you. Jesus defines you. You are clean and forgiven and free, and you need to rest in the gospel. Rest in that. That's beautiful. All right? But let me say this, too, to moms and dads and friends. What are we telling our kids about sex? What are you telling your kids? What are you going to tell your kids? Do you want God's best for them? Do you want God's best for them? God's clear as to what's best. Do you want them to experience everything God created sex to be for them as well as to bring glory to Him? Listen, love is not love unless there's security to back it. 
And marriage is the security God has provided for the sexual relationship to be experienced best. And to push or tell our kids or, any, or friends anything different is to not want what's best for them. And we need to understand that. And so as we fast forward to the end of the Song of Solomon, we come to see that, listen, there's something incredibly pure, there's something incredibly beautiful and pleasurable about this husband and wife sexual relationship. And this is in Scripture, so we're seeing that God is for a husband and wife experiencing sexual pleasure with one another. So then what makes a sexual relationship like we read in the Song of Songs possible? What makes that possible? Go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to ask Andrea to join me at this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So at this point, we've understood, seen some of the purposes God has for sex and marriage. We come to understand that God is for both husband and wife experiencing pleasure in the sexual relationship. And listen, there on the handouts there, there's book recommendations, all that, because we're not going to cover everything, obviously, in our time this morning, but I would encourage you to pick up some of those and read them, read them together. But what are some principles necessary for a healthy sexual relationship between a husband and wife? First Corinthians chapter 7, we started this series in this passage, and we're going to close the series with this passage this morning. First Corinthians 7, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, follow along as I read. Now concerning, Paul is writing this to the church. He says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they're communicating to Paul. He says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Oh, no, keep going. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, there's some principles here involved that we need to see that I believe Paul gives when it comes to having a healthy sexual relationship in marriage. The first is, one principle is there needs to be mutual giving. Mutual giving. He says here in verse Three, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. He's saying both husband and wife in marriage have sexual needs. And the husband's responsibility is to meet that need for his wife. And a wife's responsibility is to meet that need for her husband. And literally the word give almost has this idea of duty or debt to it. Your spouse, God in marriage has given your spouse the privilege and the right to experience sex for his glory. And God has given your spouse this gift. And what's amazing is that God in his sovereignty has chosen you to be the only one on the planet to be the one to open that gift for your spouse. That's incredible. And it doesn't come from the position of, hey, you owe me sex. Remember what Jesus said? You owe me? No, it's no. It's I owe this to you. As your spouse, I, I give this to you because I understand that God has given you that gift and it's a privilege for me to give this to you. Sex is not a bargaining tool. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift that requires only your spouse to open it. And that's going to require mutual giving. Do you want to add to anything there? Okay. Next, verse 4. It involves mutual selflessness. Mutual selflessness. Verse 4. 
For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Hallelujah. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Hallelujah. All right. I mean, that's good news, right? This is for me. I mean, you guys are kind of like, I don't know what's that mean. All right. Mutual selflessness. Listen, your body is not yours. It's your spouse's. There's this oneness, right, that God's created. And you're, you're, there's this oneness where now, out of, out of love for my spouse, out of love to Jesus and Him giving me this gift of grace, I, I desire to please my spouse. And in order for me to give this gift to my spouse, it's going to take me being selfless like Jesus. Philippians 2 came to mind as I was reading this. It's having the same attitude as that of Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking upon Himself the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. Mutual selflessness. Okay. All right. Um, fifth, or verse five, mutual satisfaction. Mutual satisfaction. Do not deprive one another. There's a sense of need. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you need devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's a sense of it, a principle that's needed for a healthy sexual relationship is a principle of mutual satisfaction. You don't want to de- deprive each other of this need and this gift that God has given your spouse. And you seek to satisfy your spouse without creating shame. There should be no shame or guilt in your sexual relationship as a husband and wife. Genesis 2 preaches that. And you need to communicate with one another as to what you like and don't like in this relationship. And if there is shame happening, if your spouse is experiencing, then you need to stop and you need to talk through that together. It's going to involve mutual satisfaction. Fifth, a mutual enemy. You need to understand you're fighting a mutual enemy. Listen, from our experience of being married and counseling couples, this, the enemy is going to fight. This is an area where he's going to attack your relationship. And because it's difficult and awkward to talk about, you're both struggling with it and no one's talking about it because it's awkward and then it just escalates and becomes even a bigger conflict. You need to understand that you have an enemy and he's going to attack this. He's going to, this is going to be a fox in your vineyard at times. But a sex life where both husband and wife together are mutual giving, or they're selfless, they're seeking to please the other, listen, that can protect your marriage in a powerful way from the enemy. So as we move now to some practical thoughts, all right, for a healthy sexual relationship, Absolutely. I wanted to wait till he was done with those uh, before I spoke. Before we got married, of course, we never thought that in a million years that we would ever struggle with this because, you know, we were so excited and we were just like, you know, we both waited and we were, we just could not wait to get married. We thought there's no way we're going to have any problems in this area. Um, But of course, we're human. And of course, um, and I, especially I'm speaking to the women because we're women and we know what that means. And, and even studies show it's not easy sometimes. And we do struggle and we do not approach it the same way as our husbands do. And um, it does start in our mind. And do you know how many millions of things are on our minds? <laughs> and because we do, we, you know, our, our minds are so full of things. And um, so it is so important, as we always say, and, and I just want you to know, this is, we struggle. It is, a, it is a, a little thread all throughout our marriage that we have to constantly address. We have to constantly come back to. We have to constantly communicate. We, you know, there has been hurt. There has been, um, you know, 
more conversations and, and having to work on it. So it is a lifelong thing you work on. And again, we need the gospel. We need grace. We need God's forgiveness. We need communication, communication, and communication. Um, but with the whole thing starting in our minds, as we keep coming back to, we have to continue to be meeting with Jesus, spending time with him so that our minds can be renewed and so that we can have this attitude, and it all has to do with our attitude. We're always telling our kids about our, their attitudes. It has everything to do with our attitude and how we view our husbands and how we view um, this opportunity to serve. And them too, but I'm not speaking about them. I'm speaking about us. Having this attitude of willingness and like this is a way you can serve your husband and make a huge impact. Like there's a huge impact that can be made just by your willingness. Um, and it's not this willingness like, okay, here we go. But, but you know, I, I value you and I want to make this good. And it's not always going to be. But, but it's, it's your attitude and your desire to, to serve, your desire to give. Um, and again, it has to come from there too, and that's between them and Jesus, and that needs to be worked. There needs to be humility. There needs to be sensitivity, but again, this is to you guys, to women. So it, is, it is really has so much to do with your attitude, and starting in your mind to have this attitude of willingness and, and joy and serving so that you can be ready, so that you can um, give in that way. It's good. I love you. Um, I do. Um, a healthy sexual relationship involves learning. Let me talk about that a little bit. You need to keep learning about your spouse, all right? What he or she needs, likes, dislikes. I'm not talking about ice cream, all right? I'm talking about the sexual relationship. You need to talk about it. Um, and again, no shame should be in this relationship. You need to, you need to discuss those things, too, um, it can be, again, that oneness can be so powerful, too, as you talk through this relationship together and, and, and how it can lead you to see Christ in so many ways. Um, second, a healthy sexual relationship involves practice. I mean, it just does. I mean, you have sex in order, to get, in order for sex to get better. You've got to have sex, all right? And that sounds kind of funny, but it's true, right? I mean, you schedule to go to the gym, right, to get healthy, um, you may want to schedule sex to get sexually healthy in your relationship. I mean, when we have do pre-marriage counseling, we tell people you got to schedule sex. They're like, are you serious? Are you serious? Really? Yes. Listen, it starts in the mind for the wife. Tell her at like 6 a.m. when you get out of bed, fellas. Hey, tonight, what are you thinking? I know what I'm thinking. Just telling you. Just telling you. Prepare now. Get the mind ready, baby. Okay. But it does help it does. because then we can... <laughs> See, I'm not lying. Because, I am not lying. Again, we have so many things going on in our head and we're like helping everybody else and whatever. It helps me remember, I'm, okay, I'm this is important. So what am I going to do to make that important? And guys, I will confess, there have been times when even after mentioning that, I kind of blew it off and... I don't think I realized how deeply that hurt him. Because to me, it's like, ah, you know, it's, it's like something happened and it got late. And I'm like, surely, he's you know, tired, let's go to bed. But later, it was like, 
that really hurt me because I communicated to you and I took the time to tell you so that we can be, you know, and of course things happen and, you know, and he's, you know, understands that, but he's what? when he mentioned that to me, that like he's communicating something to me that's very important and so I need to honor that and, and not just a, a duty, but to get myself prepared. And so it's really, that's very helpful. But, it, but like she said earlier, too, I mean, it goes both ways, fellas. Come on. I mean, it starts in the mind. And, you know, romance, we do define it differently. You know, and, and if you're not taking that time to, to cherish her, to love her, to show that to her, to listen to her, it's true, to serve her, provide that security for her. I mean, then, then you really are, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're being selfish. You're just being selfish. Um, and so, but that's why there's that mutual giving and selflessness and talking through that. But, um, but I'm telling you, I mean, it takes practice, okay? And I know we know that, but you may think it's funny to schedule it, but some of you probably do. Um, a healthy sexual relationship involves communication. This is so critical, and it can be awkward to talk about. You know, in my home growing up, man, we hardly communicated about, we would have never communicated about this, Okay. Um, so it can be very awkward for me personally to talk through and talk about, but you need to talk about it. Um, anything on that? Well, growing up too, we didn't obviously talk about that. I heard a lot from friends and siblings. Um, so, but I knew how important this was. So I remember there were times that, um, it was awkward and I did not want to talk about it, but I do remember also knowing it is, it is critical that I'd be willing to get past my, um, my awkwardness and to talk about it and to force myself because the more you do, it is only going to make things better. So, again, growing up in a home, and we were taught, you know, we, we saved ourselves and we didn't talk about it, but I, I knew I had to get over any awkwardness and just force myself to talk, um, and that is huge. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, and the fourth and final is just time. I mean, you're going to have to work at this relationship just like with any other part of your relationship. You're going to have to work at it, be honest and open and listening to one another and talking about it. If someone said sex is like a good wine. It gets better with age. Um, all right, and, and so these are just some practical things. And again, embrace the awkwardness of talking about it if it is awkward, okay? Um, but again, we have to bring it all the way back to the purpose for why God created it. It's it's an awesome opportunity to reflect the glory of God and to worship God and why he's given us this relationship. It's, it's an awesome gift from God, and it's an awesome responsibility and a privilege to be used to worship God as husband and wife and to make him known. And I want to close, I'm going to ask a band to come. I want to close by uh, looking at 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 11. Thanks, hon. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Because this kind of relationship, this kind of marriage that we've been talking about in the Song of Songs is impossible apart from the gospel. It's impossible without Christ. It just is. I mean, whether you're single or married, to experience all that has been shared over the last eight or nine weeks, it's really going to come down to these five verses in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Follow along as I read. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is the love of Christ in you through the gospel, through the spirit of Christ in you that will enable you to love your spouse the way God intends and desires. It's only through Christ and his spirit in you where you can experience what God desires a husband and wife to experience through marriage. I was reading this week through the Gospel of Mark, and I was overcome again by how many people just knew if they could just get, get their friends, get their family members to Jesus, Jesus could just take care of it. It was over through the Gospel of Mark, the paralytic, the friends, they can't get their, their friend in, in, into, the, into the doorway to get to Jesus, so they go through the roof. Cause, why? Because they just know if, I, if we can just get him to Jesus, he'll, he can heal it. He can heal him. He can, he can make it better. And then you had a, a woman who had a disease of hemorrhaging and for 12 years. And, and what happened was she just knew, if, she, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just get to Jesus, then he could restore it. He, he, I believe he can make me better. I believe that he can help. And then you had Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, and his daughter was dying. And he runs up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, just go, go. My daughter's ill, go. I just know if, if, you, just, if you just show up, you, you can do this. You can do this. And she passes. His daughter passes away as Jesus is on his way to meet her. And what Jesus does is when he shows up, he raises this little girl back to life. And maybe you're here this morning and your, your marriage relationship is paralyzed. Just get it to Jesus. Get your relationship to Jesus. You get Jesus into your relationship. Maybe your relationship is, is hemorrhaging. Just get it to Jesus. Get Jesus in your relationship. Just spend time with Jesus. Go to someone and say, help us. Help us. Go to someone in your living community, someone this morning, and just say, help us. There's no shame in that. Just get your relationship. Get your marriage to Jesus and get Jesus to your marriage. And maybe you feel like your marriage is dead. Just dead. Get it to Jesus. Just get to Jesus. Stand with me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a final song. And maybe this morning, you want to spend some time together, maybe as a couple, if you're here with your spouse, you want to maybe go to a different part in the room, you just want to pray, maybe you want to come to the front, maybe you want to go to the back, and just pray together, pray for your marriage. Maybe you're here and you're not married, maybe you desire to be married. Spend time in prayer as we sing. Pray for the marriages of the living church. Pray for the marriages of your family. Pray for the future marriages, if you have kids, of your kids. For the spouses, or future spouses. Spend time taking our marriages to Jesus this morning. Can we do that? Just imagine. Imagine with me if, if the gospel would just penetrate into our marriages and Jesus would just... Imagine what that would communicate to the world. Imagine what that would say to your coworkers, to your neighbors as they see Jesus in your relationship. Father, thank you. I thank you that you did not leave us on our own to try to figure out this thing that you've created called marriage, but you have given us your word to equip us, to train us for righteousness so that we can proclaim the gospel, so that we can express worship to you as husbands and wives in marriage, as singles. Lord, we thank you. 
for your grace, for your forgiveness, that you've washed us clean through the gospel. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning and they don't know you, Lord Jesus, that right now where they stand, they would repent of their sin and call out to you and know that you will make them clean. And for the marriages that are present here this morning and the marriages of Living Church that aren't present this morning, God, I pray for healing. I pray for restoration this morning. I pray that for reconciliation. I pray that your spirit, through the power of your word, would just transform the husbands and wives of our church. And through that transformation, the gospel would be made known in the workplace all throughout Cincinnati and northern Kentucky because of what you're doing in the marriages of people in Living Church. God, only through you, just Jesus, come. Come, transform our hearts, transform our relationships for your glory and your name only. Amen.